Open your Bibles this morning. We're going to go to Zephaniah chapter uh, 3, the end of Zephaniah, the end of the chapter 3, and the end of the book itself. We have made what I feels like a, what feels like to me a whirlwind journey through the book of Zephaniah. I've made a comment to several of you, I think, already, and uh, I, we've come to the end, and today is going to be, I'm planning on this being my final sermon out of Zephaniah, and I've, I've said this a couple times to a few of you, I think. I almost wish we would have slowed down a little bit, and uh, can I just give you a moment of honesty when I say that? Can I give you a moment of a glimpse into uh, your pastor's brain, maybe, if I'm going to put it that way? Because I looked at things, and I'm laying things out, and I'm saying, well, I want to do a, a, a study of an Old Testament book. I'm hoping to get through First Thessalonians before I go on sabbatical still, which is where we're going to head to next week, Lord willing. But I'm looking, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a book that seems sufficient uh, to be in, in somewhere, the, the, the age, the range that we have, and I land on Zephaniah, because I don't know if you ever like this, but I, I look at it, and I've, I've read through it, I've read through it before, but I read through it specifically for this, and I think, yeah, there's, can I say things like this? Like, like there's not, there's not going to be that much there. We can move through this in five weeks, and it won't be that big a deal. And I can tell you week after week for these five weeks, I've sat down at my desk and I've prepared a sermon and I have a page full of notes and I have more than a page of sentence outline that I have to shrink down. And, I, and every time I have these, you go back and look at my notebook and I think it's about every week. I don't want to say it every week, but it's just about every week. And I have these lines through things that I think we could be talking about, but I know we won't have time to. So it, Makes me wish a little bit we would have taken a little more time. But here we are in Zephaniah, the fifth message. I've chosen to title my message, The Joy of the Remnant. And I want to take some time to deal with the text here. But as we do that, to tie the entire book together and to do some, make some concluding remarks. And some of these things, we've already been there. And quite frankly, the things I most often was crossing out uh, were things that I think we could have talked about uh, sort of in the context of the book itself, like, like the immediate context. And I haven't paid as much attention as I could have to helping you see what it was like for Zephaniah and the hearers of Zephaniah to hear these words and to process them, what, would, what was happening with the children of Israel, because I've tended to, uh, to pull it back out of that and say what it has to do with us. And I, I think that's the right move if I have to choose, but uh, I'm wondering if it was the right to have to choose. So that's, that's where my head went. We're going to try to tie things together and make some concluding remarks as we go through uh, this last text. The joy of the remnant. This theme was introduced of the remnant as we move through because in the face of what is impending and complete and utter destruction at the hands of God's judgment upon the sinfulness of humanity, we see, as we are reading that, we see and we have the question, is there any hope for any of us? And we see the door was open in chapter 2 that we can indeed gather ourselves together and we can seek God and we can seek righteousness and we can seek humility. Three phrases I tell you are things that you and I better be hanging our hats on over the next coming years. Hopefully have already been. But we're going to hang our hats on over the next coming years. What the Lord has in store for us. We're going to seek God and we're going to seek righteousness and seek humility. There's a door open because he says that I will bring a remnant out of this judgment. The name Zephaniah, you recall, means the Lord hides. So I will hide some of you who do not turn away from me, but turn towards me. And now, as we read at the end of uh, chapter, or the end of the last text, I should say, in chapter uh, 3, verses 12 and 13, God is saying as his judgment comes, as he hides those who have turned toward him, his justice, in fact, will do not just the destroying work that sinfulness deserves, but it will do the edifying or the holiness or the sanctifying work that God's people desire. 
And he says, I will leave in your midst. There's that phrase, we, we worked up that, that, that word midst. We will leave, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge. This is verse 12, chapter 3. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. That's how we ended our last text two weeks ago. There's a remnant, and today I want to talk about the joy of the remnant. Before we get to that, though, however, we have to put the focus back on God because this text is first and foremost about God. And then we're going to do some application, some fulfillments. But let's read the text together this morning so we know where we have to go. We're going to read verse 14 through the end of the, of the book, through the end of the chapter and the end of the book, through verse 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, Zephaniah says at the end of his message now. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather, God now speaking in first person, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. May God speak to us from his word this morning. I gave you a little brief overview, so I'll just say it again. I intend this morning to have at least three things happen. I want to begin by focusing on God, for this text is about him. And I want to focus on the remnant, for that's where it touches us. And then I want to give us at least three fulfillments. There probably could be more, but at least three fulfillments of the word of the Lord, the message uh, through Zephaniah that came to the people that we have recorded in his word. So let's start with God. You know what's been our refrain all the way through? Our refrain all the way through as we study the book of Zephaniah. Every time we talk about judgment and we talk about the, the difficulty, we talk about the impending doom, and we looked at this picture that's right here behind us and we realized that, uh, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that's, that's showing in some small way when God's wrath comes what's going to happen. But all the way through, we had as a refrain, now I want to bring it to the forefront, and you can say it with me. It's verse 17, the first part of verse 17. Say it with me. The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. You see, when God is in our midst, it makes all the difference, right? I might propose to you that we can do all kinds of good church things and God not be in our midst, and it's for naught. I might propose that you and I can do all kinds of things on our own, in our families or individually, all kinds of nice things, all kinds of moral things, all kinds of things that make us look like Christians. But when God is not in our midst, then we're missing something. The reality is Scripture is clear that the only thing that will hide us from God's judgment is God. He must be in our midst. This is at the same time Words of instruction and words of triumph. Words of reminder and words of powerful declaration. 
It is our prayer. You heard Joe speak on behalf of the elders this morning, and you, I think, know it's our heart all the time, but I'll say it again. It is our prayer that when we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings, that we are very clear that we need God's presence to be with us. We need Jesus' words to be true, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. Because when God is in our midst, he is the mighty one who will save, and that's what changes us. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. These words we need to hear desperately, friends. God has taken away the judgments against you. How perfect is this? I didn't plan it this way other than when things got shuffled along the way, but how perfect is this? Because we're going to participate in something this morning that I think requires us to examine ourselves to, in order to participate, to make sure that we're worthy of eating and drinking, of, of saying, I'm joining in with Jesus, and I'm joining with Jesus of his followers. So just take, just, just do me a quick, do me a quick favor and take a little look in your own life and make a quiet little list of the judgments that could be made against you. The righteous judgments that God could make against you. Because it's only in that recognition that we see the power of what God has done. That God is a mighty one in our midst who will save. That he has taken away those judgments. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel. The king is in our midst. The Lord is in our midst. And you shall never again fear evil. Listen, listen. We could not find more appropriate words taken out of the pages that were written to people who desperately needed it centuries, millennia ago. We could not find more appropriate words for us today, could we? The King of Israel, the Lord is in our midst. You shall never again fear evil. That has nothing to do with us, does it? That has everything to do with the King. That has everything to do with God. Has everything to do with the Lord who is in our midst? Let it be sure in our minds. Let it be sure in our minds. King of Israel, the Lord is in our midst. Praise God. Praise God. But all these things, as I was sitting there and thinking of how great God is and all the wonderful things that I want to allow God to impress upon me, and maybe you've heard me say this before, but in my opinion, all the words we say and all the things that flow out and all the things we want to write, this is the phrase I wrote in my notes as I put out, put out my, my sentence outline that I always do. I said something along these lines, surely the presses must stop when we come to the second half of verse 17. There are a few things that I could say to people who are aware of their sinfulness. There are a few things that I could say that would be more welcomed, more astounding than these words of a sinless creator God as he talks about the remnant and those who have turned to him. And if you are saved this morning, if you have followed Jesus Christ and have said, my allegiance is yours, Jesus, and I belong to you, then I want you to hear these words. Because God says that he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. 
Two wonderful phrases on the outside is what they are. They're very simple in the Hebrew. There's not nearly as many words in the Hebrew as there are in the English. They're very simple. It's what God does over and what God does over. Two parallel phrases. He rejoices over with gladness. He exalts over with loud singing. And in between is what results for those who have turned to him. He will quiet by his love. Can I ask you this morning, church? What do you think it sounds like when God sings loudly? What do you think it sounds like when God exalts with loud singing? What does it sound like when God rejoices with gladness? You know, when he said things, galaxies appeared. Expanses separated. The sun showed up. Stars, land, trees. Everything we know and more than we know, more than we've discovered, more than we like, can fathom, down to the core of the earth and out to the extension of the galaxies. He spoke them. He said them. Genesis doesn't say that God shouted and things showed up. He spoke them. If there is such power in the spoken word of God, can you even fathom what happens when God rejoices with gladness and exalts over you with loud singing? Dare you believe that God will say that about his remnant? Dare you imagine that that is what the creator of the universe says about you when you belong to him? I don't know that there are further words we can give, brothers and sisters. Like our mouths are stopped. But I want to ask you something else. Because that's all fine and good as some kind of theoretical exercise. Have you heard God? Have you experienced, have you known God's joy over you coming to know Jesus? Have you personally? This is not some dry transaction, friends, where we say, okay, I say a few words and now I'm saved and I'm going to go. This is a living relationship with the Almighty God, and this is how he responds when you come to know him, when you hide yourself in him, when you turn to him instead of turning away from him. Of all the things that I might want to be anxious about and concerned about and worried about and fret about and wring my hands about and kick my feet about and throw things about and get all bothered about. Of all those things, in the middle of that little line says, when you come to know God and you allow him to speak his love over you, that you, you get to know how much he loves you, then it does something in you. 
This is why we never again fear evil. Because he will quiet you with his love. This is who God is. But I want to turn our attention to who the remnant is, and it should look a lot like who God, what God, we were seeing about God, because when we hide ourselves in him, and we see some of the same things that is true about God, we see about us, right? Go back to verse 14 and see what the remnant is doing. What are they doing? Look, it's the exact same words, by the way. It's the exact same words. Listen, we didn't do it first. God does it first. But because God has done it, we also can sing aloud. We can shout We can rejoice and exalt. I'm telling you, there's the exact same Hebrew words in verse 14 as in verse 17. Shout, sing aloud, rejoice. Church, this is what we are called to when we recognize who God is and what he's done for us, that he will hide us from this judgment, that he will redeem his people, that he has taken away their judgments, our judgments, that he has made us be able to rest in peace, and he's made us never again for evil, that he's made so our hands do not grow weak, so that we'll declare the glory of who he is, so we no longer have shame and suffering, but we have what is in the rest of this, right? He gathers us together. We're part of the group. We belong. We're re- renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when God is restoring us, when God is doing these things. We sing, we shout, we rejoice. This is what it works in us. This is why I stand up here and I get passionate because I think it's a, I want to be careful when I say this, but I think it's a, I was going to say a sin. I'll just say it, it's a really a shame that we can't be more excited about what God has done for us. Every judgment I had rightfully against me was taken away in Jesus Christ. That, I I can't tell you anything that means more. I can't tell you anything that will have more to do in your life. I can't offer you a million dollar lottery ticket. It would would pale in comparison. I, I, I don't even want to try to name all the things. That's what matters, friends. And we have to be not only aware of it and enter into it, but will he will allow it to work in us what he wants it to work in us. When God does those things among the remnant, then we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's words. He spoke this to his people, God to his people. He says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. What does he say to us? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. And if you know how those next verses go, you know that he says, when you walk through the waters, they won't overwhelm you. When you go through the deep waters, you will not be overwhelmed. When you walk through the fire, it will not burn you. For I am your God. Right? Now, I want to come to There's so much I want to still have you hear this morning, not from me, but from God's word. So I I don't want to take any more time with any of those things that are running through my brain right now. I want to give us a chance to just uh, see how this message from the Lord through Zephaniah matches up or how it's fulfilled. I'm going to share at least three fulfillments. You could do more than that, I think, but I'm going to share the three that I think that matter the most. And I want to remind us as we're going to go through this that I want us to see the themes of Zephaniah, the things that all the whole book has said, how they're fulfilled in these different ways. 
Let me remind you of those themes, that God is in our midst. And those who turn to God, those who turn to God for, to seek him, will find shelter in the face of his righteous judgment. Excuse me. And this remnant that turns to God and see, finds shelter from this righteous judgment, this remnant will see God's great joy and experience their own. There's the overarching theme I'd like you to know. God is in the midst here. He has not left us alone. He is in our midst. And those who seek God, those who turn to him, will be sheltered, will be hidden from God's righteous judgment. And that remnant will see God's great joy and will experience their own. Now, the first fulfillment I would call you, tell you is what I would call an immediate fulfillment. Of course, Zephaniah said these words to real people who lived in real times and they were facing real things. And as the pages of history tell us, is that when this happened, that uh, the nation of Israel did not turn from all their wicked ways as God wanted them to, and he took them into exile. The Babylonians came and took them, destroyed their city, moved them all over the place, and they experienced 70 years of captivity. But we all know that there were those who turned to God, right? We know that there was a remnant that, that, that stayed faithful to him, and we read about them in Ezra and Nehemiah, that they got to return and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple and restore the worship of God in his temple in Jerusalem. So we know that those things happened. You know, when you read the book of Isaiah, two of Isaiah's sons, at least two that I can think of, two of Isaiah's sons were named based on the promise that these things that Zephaniah said were going to happen, that God's righteous judgment is going to come, but he hides those who turn to him, and there will be a remnant and that remnant will see the joy of God and experience their own. Two of his sons. How would you like that, by the way, if God came to you and said, you're going to name your sons very specifically, and there's going to be a whole sermon tied up in what you name your child? I'm going to give you just a little glimpse of it, not from Isaiah's sons, but when you look at uh, the book of Nehemiah, after, after the... Uh, the temple is rebuilt to, uh, to a degree, and after the city's restored, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 17, we read this. Notice the themes that we have picked up on Zephaniah already. We notice this. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity, there's the remnant, and they're gathered together. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to the day that the people of Israel had, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And then the very last line of that verse says this. And there was very great rejoicing. But that's not the, that's the reason I skipped over some of the stuff as we went through is because there's better stuff, more important stuff for us to talk about. Because there's another fulfillment that came down the road. I would call this a long-term fulfillment of the words of Zephaniah. He's not talking about just something that's going to happen with Israel and an exile and a return or a remnant there. Because as we talked about in the last message, when God's justice came about, it came through a man named Jesus who walked on the earth and fulfilled what God wanted to, him to fulfill. And we see the themes of Zephaniah represented on this day when surely God did pour out his righteous wrath and judgment on the sinfulness, right? And surely he redeemed and broke the power of that as Jesus went to the cross and died and bled, bled and died, and was put in the grave and came back out of that grave. But I don't want to just tell you about it. I want to read some scriptures that help you see that, I, from my perspective, that help you see that when Jesus was here and lived and then he died and was resurrected again, that we see the words that God was saying to Zephaniah fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin by just flipping back a little bit. And instead of going towards the New Testament, I'm going to go back the other way. I'm going to go to the book of Micah. Because I want to start with this truth of God. Micah chapter 7, the very last words of the book of Micah. Micah said this. And the same is true for us today as we listen to this. This question is, is, is relevant to us. Who is a God like you? 
pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. I'm going to go all the way to the other direction because I want us to see that when John in the New Testament saw this revelation, he saw the throne room and he saw what was there and he saw the throne and he saw the, live, the, the elders, the living creatures, the elders, and they were standing around. And then it says he saw what looked like a lamb standing in their midst. Let me read Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 to 14, because as they gathered around this lamb who had been slain, and they were wondering who could open this little scroll that was going to contain the judgment, the record of judgment against the sinfulness of humanity, who was worthy? But look in, listen in verse 9, it says, and they sang a new song. You want to know the new song? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. John says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voices of many angels. So more are added to the scene, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And if that's not enough, he says, And I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Listen, you remember when, when Zephaniah spoke, he said, the King of Israel is in your midst. The Lord, he's in your midst. You want to know a tiny little detail that probably doesn't mean all that much, but I think is incredible because through a, an unsaved, through a Gentile, through a wicked man, through a man called Pilate, when Jesus went to the cross, guess what Pilate did? In John chapter 19, verse 19, it says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, what did it read? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You understand Zephaniah's words, right? The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He's hanging right there, right? He's hanging right there. He's in your midst. We know from Revelation again that it's not enough to call him the king of Israel, the king of Jews, right? Because when he comes again, he's going to be wearing a title that says he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you want to know how, God, how much God rejoices when Jesus was walking around before he went to the throne, he told us three different stories, all focused around the same thing. We read them in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to read one of them for you. But he told us three different stories of what happens, of how God looks at it when we understand the fulfillment of the word of the Lord through Zephaniah, that God is in our midst and he's a mighty one who will save. He says this. He says, what if, a what if, sorry, 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together. Notice the gathering part of that, right? The remnant part. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Can you hear the echoes of Zephaniah 3.17 that God will exalt over you with loud singing, that he quiets you with his love? Can you hear those echoes in Jesus' story? We know he goes on and says the story of a lost coin, and then he gets really personal and says the story of the prodigal son, which is about every one of us. The response of the redeemed, of the remnant, the response is found as Paul makes this strong, powerful declaration. We could probably read the entire book of Romans this morning and, and, and have it see it as the fulfillment of these words. We're not going to, but I would just want to pick these verses out. If we, are, if we are in part of the remnant, then we should hear these words. This is from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You all know the story of the cross. But I want you to see again this morning that it's the fulfillment of God's words to Zephaniah. The righteous and complete destruction of sinfulness and sinful humanity and all the things that come out of that is coming. But to those who turn to God, to those who hide themselves in him, he will spare a remnant. They will be, they will be spared from that judgment. They can be covered. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. And they will see God's great joy and, and, and experience their own. This is so they can say, I'm going to go all the way back to the Old Testament again. I want to read you these words. Isaiah chapter 51. You need to hear them. Verse 11. Listen to what it says. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I can only read that verse to you because we have the Gospels and we have what Jesus Christ has done for us. But listen, as exciting as that is, I got to keep moving here. Because I got a lot more that you need to hear from God's Word this morning. As exciting as that is, I think there's actually an ultimate fulfillment that's still coming. I don't think you're going to be surprised by this. I don't think you're going to, like, caught on pins and needles about what I'm going to say. It's not some earth-shattering thing. But there's an ultimate fulfillment coming to these words of God's judgment and God's protection over those who have turned to him. God's sparing of those who have turned to him. And God's receiving of those. And God's great joy over the remnant and the great joy of that remnant. Let me just read it to you. We can't read all of it. But tucked away in Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to just turn. I'm going to read one verse in Revelation chapter 12 because it's going to set the stage for what I'm going to read next. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven. I heard a loud voice in heaven. He said, now, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Let me flip over a little deeper into that text. Revelation chapter 19. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read some pretty long texts here. Revelation chapter 19. You don't have to. You can just listen to it. Sometimes I think it works just as well to listen as it does to follow, but it's up to you. After this, John says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is that us? Is that us? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John says in verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Seeing echoes of Zephaniah in this. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of the fire, lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that, comes, that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And listen, it's not exciting reading, isn't it? It's not stuff we are relishing, but neither was Zephaniah. I will come and utterly destroy everything that's on the earth. 
There's some more text there. I, I, I got I to keep jumping. I got to keep moving. I want to flip over to Revelation 21. You see the reign of Christ. You see the defeat of Satan, which, by the way, is actually quite anticlimactic in the end, right? After this epic setup of battles, and you read one little verse that God just, just well, what does it say? He'll be released, and then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil that had, had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. After all these epic struggles we think we have, that's the power of God. It won't even be a fight. Revelation chapter 21, I want to move to this now because I want to experience the, I want us to see the joy of the king and the joy of the remnant. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven, let me just read that again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to these words. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Does that sound like the Lord is in our midst? Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Also he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water... Let me just read that again. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm gonna jump over one more time. I wanna get to the end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, these are Jesus' words. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who have washed their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. And the church, the remnant, who knows, because the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah years and years before this, knows that the righteous judgment of God is coming, that he will utterly consume all those who oppose him. But for those who have turned to him and have surrendered to him and have hidden themselves in him and have received what Jesus Christ has done for them, 
have given to him their allegiance. For those, he will make a remnant. He will gather them. He will bring them to these words that we heard this morning and they will experience the great joy of God over them and they will experience great joy themselves. And because the remnant, the saved, those of Jesus, because they know when Jesus says, surely I am coming soon, all of God's people say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I tried to be very careful this morning, so I want to be careful not to say too much else. I tried to be very careful that most of what you hear was read right out of the Bible. You don't need my commentary on it. You need to pay attention to it. You need to let it roll around in your heads and your hearts, and you need to ask the Lord whether you are ready for the day that has been described. And amazingly, by God's sovereignty and his good grace to us and things that we don't deserve, this morning, as you have an opportunity to make sure that you are ready, you also have an opportunity to then participate in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ with the saints. I think that's pretty sweet. God, thank you so much for Zephaniah, the words that came through Zephaniah. Thank you for how your word is fulfilled and will come true. Thank you that we have seen layers of that fulfillment, but thank you that there is a fulfillment coming. And as we finish out this service this morning, I pray that we may do so just with joy, that we may hear you exalting over us with loud singing, that we respond with our own joy, that we are so grateful for what you've done. Of course, all that is based on the fact that we've spent time making sure that we really have turned to you, that we're seeking you and seeking to be right with you, seeking to be humble before you, that we are asking you, Jesus, to cover us. Hide me, O thou great Jehovah. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.